Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. Well, good morning, church. Are you awake? Good for you. Uh, welcome back. Uh, t- today, we are kicking off our summer series. And before I get into that, I just want to circle back to how we kick off summer at Crosspoint every year. And, and Brendan just talked about it. It is Beverly Cleanup. I hope you'll join us on Saturday, June 3rd. Um, it'll be from the morning to the afternoon. There's two shifts. But this is an excellent way for us to get to know our neighbors here in the larger Beverly 118th sector and love our neighbors. I've seen it uh, time after time. You run into someone into the alley, get to know their name, and to go out of your way to love them. And it just takes them aback. And it's a way we can demonstrate the love of God uh, for them in this special way. Uh, so beverlycleanup.com. Uh, there's two shifts in the morning. You can go 9.30, clean a, a neighborhood, love your neighbors, have a barbecue, or you can come for a barbecue lunch and then do the afternoon shift. And we're doing this all together as a community, not just Crosspoint with some local agencies and other neighbors outside of this church. Uh, so I hope to see you there. Um, yeah, we're spending the summer in the book of John. And so this is my invitation to you. I hope that this summer, you will experience the evangelical masterpiece that is the good news according to the Apostle John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, as Derek said. And we will look at what makes John's gospel unique, where the signs of Jesus point in the revelation of who he is, Messiah, the Son of God, the great I Am, God incarnate. And so our prayer for you is that you would grow into a deeper and more personal relationship with Jesus and learn to trust him, like really trust him with your entire lives. And so we believe the Holy Spirit can do this and work in this way through the Gospel of John. And so we can continue to trust in the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we explored in our last series, Gift of the Father, and take the next step in knowing and trusting God the Son, who is Jesus Christ. You know, John 3 says that unless one is born of water and the Spirit, they cannot enter the kingdom of God, nor will they know him. And so when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus here, he's saying that it's the Holy Spirit that can help us do this. Know God, know Jesus, and know the Father in Jesus. And it is the Spirit that bears the witness to the Son in whom we know the Father. In other words, the Holy Spirit is vital to this pursuit that I'm inviting you into for a deeper relationship with Jesus. And so in this series, let us invite the Holy Spirit, okay, into our reading of the Gospel of John this summer. And so wherever you are in the next three months, on vacation or if if you're out of town, you can follow along by reading, listening, watching, or studying the book of John and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you who Christ is in a fresh new way. And so to do this, I've provided a couple tools to help you. And you can visit thecrosspointchurch.ca slash notes, and you will find a, a reading plan, a listening podcast for an immersive, dramatic retelling of the book of John, 
You can watch uh, your way through John um, on YouTube. I've provided a link that, to that. And I've also uh, provided a study plan that will help you just get started in your personal study um, in the book of John. And then some message notes to help you follow along. Yeah, you can find those there today. Now, while we're looking at the book of John, here's what you can expect from our weekend gatherings. And to do that, I have to tell you more about the book. So John's gospel, here it is, is split into four parts. There's the prologue, that is John's summary and introduction in the first 18 verses. And then there's the book of signs, roughly the first 12 chapters, including Jesus' words and actions and miracles. Then there's the book of glory approximately the next seven chapters covering the last week of his life. And finally, the epilogue, the final chapter, which accounts for some of the post-resurrection interactions Jesus has with people and the disciples. And so the scope of our study this summer will spend most of our time in the book of signs, which is um, and can be broken down into seven signs or miracles that Christ performs to reveal something about himself, and seven I am statements Jesus makes about his identity. Why? Well, it's because John's gospel is unique. And so that's where we're going to start today. Uh, let me tell you where we'll end up, though. So if you refer to my next slide, this is what I call the reverse Dorito. Tim? Yes. And so we're going to start on the broad edge because that's the safest way to eat a Dorito. It's at the top. Less dangerous, no, no pointy edges. And so we're going to talk about the uniqueness of John's... That was funnier in my head, okay? <laughs> Unplanned. Don't do that again. Okay. There's a purpose to this. We're going to talk about the uniqueness of God's, uh, John's gospel. Then we'll talk about the purpose of his gospel. Then I'll give you a summary of the gospel known as John's prologue. Then we'll get into the nitty-gritty of knowing and believing Jesus in John's gospel. And finally, we'll, we're going to practice a form of prayer called the Examine uh, by St. Ignatius of Loyola. And it's just kind of a really a personal assessment and inventory in prayer. And we're gonna, that's where we're going today. It's just kind of a self-examination at the end to prepare ourselves for the weeks ahead. Okay, let's start with the uniqueness of John's gospel. It is unique in three ways, in date, content, and style. Let me tell you how. First, the Gospel of John is unique because of its publication or circulation date. It is usually agreed that John was written last, after the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke were circulated. And so most scholars believe that the first Gospel, Mark, was written around 65 to 75 AD, some 20 or 30 years after the death of Christ. And Mark is genius in its impact because it is demonstrative of the epic story about God's kingdom at work in power, and Jesus is just front and center. I like to call Mark the diehard of the Gospels, and Jesus is Bruce Willis, right? You guys are coming along. Um, but Mark is like that. It's full of action. It's about the kingdom of God in power, and Jesus is front and center. He is the hero of the story. Then Matthew is believed to be written somewhere around 70 AD. Matthew is primarily... It's many things, but primarily an apologetic directed toward Jews, hoping to reveal Christ as their long-awaited Messiah. And then there's Luke, written sometime in the late first century. Luke is a large, 
chronological, precise, and exacting recounting of Jesus' life and teaching about God's kingdom with special attention to various things, clarifying and correcting erroneous beliefs, the inclusion of the Gentiles, and making Jesus king. And then finally, there's John. And it begs the question, what did the Spirit inspire John to highlight in this fresh account of the common perspective that the disciples all shared? And so certainly, the disciples were all present for many of the same things. And so what is so unique about John's perspective? Each gospel, as we, we've explored, has a different goal. So what was John's goal? Just hold on, I will get there. Second, John is unique in content. The book of John is not an apologetic to appeal to one group of people. It's not an exhaustive historical account. There are no parables and less direct teaching. So what then does the content of John reveal about his focus? I'll get there. Let me tell you one more thing. Third and finally, John is unique in style. You just feel it when you read this gospel. Sometimes it's called the spiritual gospel. It's almost poetic and mystical. We are invited into a spiritual saga and the eternal trinity. The motifs throughout John inspire awe and wonder and most of all, faith. It gives the reader the sense of divine presence, doesn't doesn't it? Divine presence. So why the unique effort in John? See, this is it. John wants to encourage us to make our faith in Jesus deeply personal. So he was led by the Spirit to write this gospel, to make its content all about who Jesus is. John, the beloved, the close friend of Jesus, is saying, here is my friend, Jesus. This is who he is. Think about it. How do you introduce a friend to someone? You don't start with their family tree or where they were born, right? You'd start with what makes them, well, what makes them them, what is unique to them. Like, for example, this is my friend Derek over here. He's a child of God. He is a wonderful father, a gifted worship leader, and he likes water in his cereal. That's what makes Derek, Derek. He's smiling. He knows it's true. In the same way, John gets to the core of who Jesus is. Not just so you would know who he is. It's much more personal than that. So what then is John's purpose in making it so personal? Well, John tells us straight, and I, man, I love that about this gospel. Like, tell us what it's all about, right? Right from the beginning. Um, but he saves it till the end. So let's, enough chit-chat, let's get right into the word. If you follow along, I'll get you to turn to John chapter 20, verse 30, or you can follow along on the screen. And here John tells us the purpose of his gospel. Plain and simple. Let's read together. Chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, John was led to write this deeply personal gospel to inspire belief in Jesus. The word belief appears in the book of John more than anywhere else in the Bible. In John, it's 98 times. So belief is a major theme here. And John doesn't just want us to know Jesus. He wants our, us to put our faith in him. 
He wants your morality to be a symptom of your love and adoration for him. He wants your ethics to be rooted in what pleases God. He wants your desires to please God and to be greater than your desire to please yourself. Because, we have, if, because if we have a spirituality without God, we have no spirituality. And so any news without Jesus is not good news at all. Amen? We got that straight. And he is writing to people who have lost their way. And he's saying, hold on to Jesus. That's what this gospel is about. Put your belief in Jesus. And so this summer, we're going to be spending a lot of time getting to know Jesus in John. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of us started to believe in him. I know that sounds awkward, but John is just not satisfied if we know Jesus unless we're going to believe in who he is, all he is. So let me tell you, turn back to John chapter 1, verse 1. This is who Jesus is. There's this amazing introduction we call the prologue, and it speaks for itself. It's wonderful. Let's read this together. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this is was he whom I said, who comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made himself known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In other words, Jesus is the word, the logos, the embodiment of God's mind and will in his word. If you know the story in Genesis 1, God spoke the world into being. And now the divine word has become human in Jesus. God's word is Jesus. And Jesus was with God in the beginning. Before the beginning, he always was. Listen, not only does this mean that Jesus was there before and at creation, It also means that he is God incarnate. Better yet, the one personal, knowable, powerful, and mighty God. And see, Jesus has the same life-giving power for salvation, abundant life, and everlasting life that he employed when he created the world with God. Creating life, and now he wants to offer new life in a new creation story. 
And John says that this life is an inextinguishable beacon of hope, a light for humankind. He came into the world so we could know him. And even though we rejected him, he died so that we may have new life in his name. Isn't that amazing? This Jesus, almighty God, but that's not it. It is by faith in Jesus that we are adopted into what is called the family of God. And family means relationship. And relationship means communion. And communion means devotion. Devotion to each other. Just as we sang today, can I pour my life out to you? Only in the context of communion and family do we feel that desire to do that. So John shows us who Jesus is. And here's just a couple of the, the main identities that he's revealing. Jesus is God, creative and awesome. He is life, and he invites us to a more abundant one. He is the eternal son, and he invites us into the eternal family. I want that, don't you? I don't want to just know him. I want a greater intimacy with him. I want to believe him for all that he is. And for me and for you, that is a process, isn't it? Let me describe this, this process. The late American monastic, Father Thomas Keating, said our relationship with Christ has four general stages. Acquaintanceship, friendliness, friendship, and union. Thomas Ward describes uh, Thomas Keating's idea well. He says, we begin by meeting, acquaintanceship. And if we sense an attraction and commonality, we might spend more time together, which is friendliness. Should we find a deeper pull, we might commit ourselves to a relation of fidelity over time, which is friendship. Some might call that discipleship. Then, if this commitment deepens, it might become the center of our world. Eventually, we might find ourselves at one with the other, a union. I want a personal relationship with Jesus. And I want to trust in him for saving abundant and everlasting life. And this is possible for those who believe in him for it. Yes, knowing Jesus means something. It has to. But it should lead to our believing in him. Knowing him will only get you to the edge of that. Life with God should change everything. Only believing in him will do that. Listen, do we just know things about God? Or do we actually put our trust in him? Are we friendly with God? Or worse, are we just acquaintances? So let's be honest with ourselves. What is our relationship with Christ like today? Is it intellectual? Or is it personal? Are you following Jesus or just following the rules? Is he just one of many or is he the one and only? And so wherever you stand in that today, it's not too late. We are engaging in this series because there is more for all of us. And so in John, Jesus reveals who he is to us, and that we can trust him with all of life, past and present and future, all of us for all that he is. And so what are you believing in Jesus for today? Uh, if we're honest, if I'm honest, 
Many of us are not trusting in Jesus as much as we could. There's just so much more. And so this summer, that can change. I believe we're going to see people come to faith in Jesus for the first time. I believe we're going to see people go deeper in their relationship with him. I believe we're going to see people believe in Jesus for more, for healing, for freedom, for renewal, and for power. But we first need to get real about where we're at, about our fears and our doubts. So let me tell you a short story about one of Jesus' disciples from John. And maybe, just maybe, this is our story too. It's about Thomas the twin. That's right, that disciple. Sometimes called Doubting Thomas. It's an unfair, unpopular name. Um, you can find part of his story in John chapter 20. And if you do want to uh, follow along as I tell the story, you can find that story starting in verse 24. But here's what happened. Jesus has just risen from the dead. The disciples still think he's dead, and they're hiding from the Jews somewhere, and he appears to them. But Thomas wasn't there. And now this is conjecture, but he must have been preoccupied with something else. Maybe he was hanging out uh, with the twin. You know, it says he's a twin. Maybe he's hanging out with the twin. Or he just preferred to lick his wounds in private alone. We don't really know for sure, but we know that if he were hanging out with the disciples, he wouldn't have missed Jesus and his visit the first time. But finally, Thomas does show up, and he cannot believe what he's hearing, that Jesus is alive and just appeared to the other disciples. Not too long ago, he had just watched them tear Jesus to shreds, hang him on a cross, suffocate him, and bleed him to death. He watched Jesus's lifeless body hang on a tree, and now they're saying he's alive. You see kind of where the tension is there. Well, no, that's just too much for Thomas. And after what he saw, not even eyewitness testimonies from people he trusted were enough. He says, unless I see his wounds and touch them with my hands, I will never believe. And so it is easy for all of us to judge Thomas in this moment, but many of us have our own demands for evidence, don't we? If God, you just do this, I will believe in you. How do we handle our doubts individually or even corporately? What does Thomas do? Well, this is where it gets really interesting. Thomas decides he will never believe that Jesus is alive unless he gets undeniable proof. And what do they do? They all stay together for a week, eight more days. And this is the best part. They don't kick Thomas out for not believing. The prayer meeting continues. They're trying to figure out what is happening. Be honest. How many of us would leave if we couldn't believe? How many of us have left when we could not believe? How many of us make others feel like they should leave because they don't believe? Well, not so with Thomas and the other disciples. The story gets better. Listen. Jesus visits Thomas. It's amazing and terrifying all at the same time. You know, all the doors are locked, and it's just Thomas and other disciples who were left. Then Jesus just appears there amongst them. And naturally, Thomas is like, what is happening? And Jesus says, shalom, peace be with you. See, Jesus isn't mad. He understands the disciples' fears. He understands Thomas's doubts. So he puts them at ease, and he reveals himself to Thomas. Put your finger 
in my side. Look at my hands. Touch them. See, Jesus wants Thomas to believe in who he is. That's his desire. It's not a test on Thomas's knowledge. It's a relationship. He says, do not doubt. Do not disbelieve, but believe. He wants to inspire belief in Thomas, and so he does. And in an amazing moment of revelation, Thomas confesses faith in Jesus. He says, my Lord and my God. He understands who Jesus is, and he believes But listen, Jesus has more for Thomas and he has more for us. He says this to Thomas. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. In other words, not everyone believes in me needs to see me. That's faith. And yet, he comes to both kinds of people, doesn't he? So let me tell you today, whether you have doubts or not, Jesus will meet you where you're at. Sounds too good to be true, but it is true. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came and dwelt among us. Wherever you're at, he will come and meet you there. He is ready for you to trust in him. And here's the thing, church, we can help. There are some things we learn uh, from Thomas's story here, and I've just pulled up four principles for a fellowship of believers like us. The first is community. The second is honesty, process, and pursuit. That's the third and fourth. Community, honesty, process, and pursuit. First, all of this is done in community. The belief of an individual is entrusted to the community as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Individuals come to believe in Christ in the local body of believers. Together, we are all on a personal journey of knowing Christ and trusting him more. Second, belief should be navigated with honesty, shouldn't it? We shouldn't avoid doubt and fear. We should face it head on, personally and corporately. Discipleship is a process by which, as a community, we are all individually becoming more like Jesus and pursue him in deeper relationship, which means trust. And through the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit, thank God, we become become who he wants us to be, appreciating who he truly is, enjoying all that we have in him. Jesus wants to reveal himself to us. And so let me ask you, are are we the church where it's okay to be honest about our doubts and fears? And if, if we're not, what are we doing with all those? Third, everyone is in process. Why? Because everyone is working out their faith, making it personal. We wouldn't want anything less for you. I wouldn't want anything less for myself. Corporately, we pray for each other and encourage each other and invest in what we want to see individually. And it is our prayer that Christ would reveal himself to you in a powerful and personal way. The Holy Spirit can do that. Isn't that good news? So when you're having lunch with a coworker and they doubt and they fear, you pray that Jesus would reveal himself to them. And he can. And finally, and most importantly, this is the pursuit we talk so much about. We pursue Jesus because he is the subject of our faith. Who can increase our faith? He can. 
Where does Thomas direct his doubts? To Jesus. Where does Jesus meet him? In those doubts. We must, as John is telling us, hold on to Jesus. And so this week, um, you know, I was chatting with a friend here at Cross Point, and we were talking about sometimes yeah, people try to believe in God by debunking all the alternatives, don't they? It's kind of an indirect way of coming to Jesus. In other words, we sometimes try to believe in God through a process of elimination. And my friend and I just came to this like, realization, we're like that too. And maybe you are as well. Let me ask you, how many times have you gone looking for only what God can do in all the wrong places? If you want to believe in God, to trust in Him, you must go to the only one who can make that happen, to Him. You must pursue God. You must pursue Jesus. Um, recently, I was reading uh, about a Jewish tradition, and there's this beautiful image that they use in the rabbinic um, history that is used to describe how we know and trust in God. And this is it. It is said that each time we encounter God in the Scriptures, it is never wasted. Each revelation is piled up upon our hearts, like a weight on a wineskin. And with each encounter, the weight of it forms and shapes our hearts, but it doesn't penetrate deep within. But eventually, and with increasing regularity, the weight causes our hearts to burst open, and the truth just pours right in. My Lord and my God. We want that. And so my prayer for you in this series is that the truth about Jesus would pile up on your heart and your heart would just burst and it would all pour in to know him as he is for who he is. And so with each sign in the series, each statement Jesus makes about himself throughout John, that it would, you would go from knowing Jesus to believing in him. And so, now as we close today, I want to uh, perform a practice together um, before we move forward in this series. And so we're going to do some prayerful self-examination. And so here's the goal of our prayer. Let's define our relationship with Jesus. And so I'm going to get you guys to close your eyes just where you are. Uh, we're going to put our hands in the upright position because we're going to receive from God. We're listening to Him. This is what is often called the examine. Uh, St. Ignatius, a way of taking inventory and self-assessment. With your eyes closed, I just want you to ask God these two questions. Lord, we're here and we're listening to you. Reveal to us now what kind of relationship do we have with you? Do I just know you or do I believe in you? We ask that you would reveal the truth to us now.
Lord Jesus, are we acquaintances? Are we friendly? Do we have a friendship or, or is it something more than that? Speak to us, I pray. Speak to us, I pray. Speak to us, I pray. We're here. Let me pray for you as we close. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. If we're honest, we sometimes struggle to put our trust in you. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we're just afraid. And so we're just wondering, Lord, do we have a relationship with you, the one that we think we do, or is there more for us? It's our desire that you would reveal that to us today. We long to put our trust in you for all that you are. And so we turn from our unbelief towards you. And we ask you to help us, Holy Spirit. As we listen, as we get into your word this summer, into John, and as you work in our lives, reveal yourself to us, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hey, um, we're just so glad that you've joined us this morning. If you're new, just a reminder, uh, you can find all our Summer and John resources at thecrosspointchurch.ca slash notes. If you need prayer, our prayer team will be uh, love to pray for you right here on the right after the gathering. Uh, but before you go, let me remind you of who you are. You can stand up for this. Oh, it's kind of day we're having. We'll be praying for you. Um, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are. Let me encourage you to open up that social circle today. Say hello to somebody that doesn't look like you. And we'll see you next Sunday, same time, same place. Love you guys. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.